Rebuilt from a pile of bones scattered on a California roadside after a speeding truck interrupted his lunch ride, our guest has forged a savage will and unmatched intensity over his 30-year racing career to notch eight USAT duathlon All-American honors, multiple podiums in Spartan and other OCR races, 500 finish lines around the world, give or take, the 300 of which that can be found online or on his Athlinks profile, by the way, and a master's in sports psychology. I sat down with Kevin Gelati, today's guest, to discuss his philosophy on discipline in both life and racing, and what it has taken him to prioritize finish lines above nearly all else in his life. You might want to take this episode with you on your hard day, so if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlings Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busso, coming to you from the sun-kissed hills of Colorado. It is December 3rd, 2020, and this is episode 15. What's up, Kevin? I'm doing good, man. Well, we have today a special treat. We have Kevin Gelati on the podcast. If you have, if you have participated in a Spartan race, you have either raced against him, used a piece of his technology, uh, seen a piece of artwork or a color scheme, or uh, you've been touched in ten or more ways by our guest today. So, welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thanks. I appreciate. It. Yeah, indeed. There, indeed. There is some truth to that to a certain extent. There's a whole lot of truth. It was funny. You dug up an email not uh, when we started chatting here about you coming on to the podcast. We've been working together damn near a decade now um, yeah. on the early versions of the Spartan website, early versions of Athlink. So uh, I, I think yeah, un, unbeknownst to both of us a little bit. Yeah, I had a vague memory when you reached out to me. I was like, well, first of all, I have a long history, as I explained to you, with athletics, almost from day one. As an athlete with tons of results, that to me is like, it's the end-all, be-all relative to the, to the location for uh, results. So when you reached out to me, I was like, you know, man, this totally rings a bell. Like, I worked with some people within this company it's been years. That was 2013 when I dug up that email from 2013. Yeah. 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 I was just looking at your profile. You have 316 results on Athlinks. Uh, you mentioned we, you and I talked a little bit about it. You're one of these, uh, we just had, uh, Erica McClurg on the podcast the other day who started doing triathlons in 1990. You're, you're around that same kind of, uh, certainly within that decade. Yeah, 1990 is, is kind of when I feel like I officially put my, when I started being a multi-sport athlete, time stamp on it. And believe it or not, it came because of a bet. Oh, yeah? So an interesting story. Now, do you mind me telling the story really No, quick? please do. Okay, so this is kind of a shout out to this guy. I don't know where he's at. I don't know where he lives. <laughs> I don't know where he, who he became. I don't know what he did. But I had a buddy in college at the University of Iowa, 1990. He bet me I couldn't finish this duathlon or do a duathlon. I was like, come on, dude. You're a stoner and you do this shit. <laughs> I guarantee you I can do this. What was, your, was, what was your athletic background at the time? Who were you at the time? At that point, I, had, I have been athletic pretty much my entire life, you know, growing up in Iowa in the Midwest in the seventies, eighties and nineties, it was out. we were outdoors 24 seven. There was no indoor type events 
or things you could even do as a child, really. So we were outside constantly. So my background, first and foremost, was cycling. Okay. Everything from BMX on up to road, triathlon, duathlon, mountain bike, that's probably been the longest running piece of my history. But growing up, I played soccer. I looked at actually playing soccer at the University of Iowa when I got mm. to college. I, I gave it serious consideration, but it just turned out I finally realized I'm just I'm not a team player. It's just not <laughs> it's not who I am. It's just not my style. But base uh, baseball, soccer uh, are really where I came from. But cycling's probably I didn't even start technically really running legitimately until college hmm. and then all and then literally all hell broke loose got it got it so let me finish that that yeah. that story about this guy so this guy says hey man kevin you can't do this and i'm like hey his name was shaggy and i was like dude you're a stoner and you do this stuff so i know i can do this so i went out and did this duathlon tim DeBoom won the triathlon that day and i don't know if you know who tim DeBoom he is, lives, but he lives right up the road yeah yeah, two-time Ironman winner. He's a good friend of mine. We lived together for a small period of time when I first moved out here. The guy is the real deal. Uh, he won that day, and I hardly finished through duathlon on a mountain bike with slick tires <laughs> and camelback. It was almost disastrous, but I fell in love, man. Yeah, I fell in love. I knew that day. I knew that day there was something there. And that I could refine this if I just put the effort into it. And so 1990, and from there, it really did turn into more duathlons, tons of running races, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons, everything. I think soon after that, we did a big race that was very popular at the University of Iowa, a road running race with my buddy Todd. And it just kind of kicked off from there. And that's when I really started to refine huh. my running, my cycling, becoming an athlete. It's, I became a vegetarian. I stopped drinking. Huh. I stopped all partying, everything. Are you are you still vegetarian? Yeah, I've been uh, shocking to most people, but I've been a vegetarian for 30 years, man. Wow. Never cheated, never once gone back. I don't, it's, it's. and they say, people are saying, mm. back in the day, I got to think about this. This is the 90s, man. Oh, no, yeah. You know, shit. <laughs> like, the only way you can find anything out is you have to go to a library and get a card catalog. And some people listening to this won't even know what the hell I'm talking about. They will have no idea. They will have no idea what a card catalog <laughs> And we'll get a newspaper, get a magazine, or order a book. But there were no online coaches. There was nothing, man. You had to make this stuff up on the fly and figure it out yourself because there were no resources like there were today, like right. there are today. Yeah. Yeah, for the kids listening, the the early version of the internet used to be you would call the library and ask the librarian a question who would then either put the phone down and come back 10, late, 10 minutes later or or call you back 20 minutes later with the answer to your question. Literally, that's not a joke. And if not they don't joke. know what the catalog is, they need to look that up and get a photo of that on Google <laughs> so you can look at what these card catalogs, these things could be three blocks long, 10 feet tall, full of tens of thousands of cards, and you dug one up, you found that, then you went to the library where it says it was on the, uh, that's the only thing. And so, but the cool thing about that is, that forced me to figure it all out myself. 
Yeah, what 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 motivated you in the '90s? Um, this was a conversation I wasn't even planning on having. What what motivated you in the '90s at the time? Because now nowadays, I mean, it's you know, whether it's Rich Roll's podcast or a thousand other sources, um, it's very you know in the zeitgeist and the the thing to do. But that you must have been the outlier. Certainly, wasn't easy to walk into a restaurant and remain vegetarian at the time. You know, man, my disposition has always been that when I decide to get involved in something, I simply don't fuck around. <laughs> like if, if I'm going to do it, I do it. I'm like that way with everything that I do. And a couple of things happened there. Not only was it that time, that moment in time that I told you that I realized, holy shit, like I can do this. I could do this much better than I do if I had the right technology and if I had the right training and the, and the right mindset. And so it was seeing that writing on the wall and that alone motivated me that that provided me fuel to keep going and going and going. And so the, and the fact that I had always been active as a kid, you know, I had when mountain biking first hit, I bought one of the first steel mountain bikes in Iowa that you could buy from the bike store. And me and my buddies were riding mountain bikes all through the University of Iowa our college days. So it was like. It was this thing behind me that says it's a lifestyle. I don't know if you can see that. That's bit. exactly, yeah, the lighting for you, but mm -hmm. the main piece in there says it's a lifestyle. And that's one of the tags I use on Instagram all the time because that's really what it is. That's really what it was to me. It was beyond just wanting to be competitive, but it was wanting to try to find a way to make this my entire life. And everything else would revolve around this, even though I had to have jobs, even though I had to do go to school, and even though I had to get an education. So it's just an in I guess it's just an internal self-motivation that I've always had. And it's never, ever in 30 years, ever wavered. Yeah. Ever. I've never had a moment where I thought this was it or yeah, I'm done. done. Yeah. yeah, if I did, I did exactly what I did with Duathlon. And left and went into OCR. Yeah. Yeah. I just remade myself, reinvented myself, and transformed into something else so that I could keep that competitive motivation going because I, I was done after 25 years with USA Triathlon. There was nothing more to do. Yeah. So I, I get the racing motivation side of thing. My my specific question was on the vegetarianism oh. in the nineties. Oh. No, no worries. But the um because as you're embarking on this, you come from Iowa. Right. Very, you know, the, the home of the steak. And you're I mean, it wasn't an intuitive thing that if you cut out all your your meat based protein that you would excel as an athlete. What was the motivation back then okay. to, to get you to do okay. that? Sorry, I went off on a little tangent. Oh, no there. worries. Tangents are oh, good. You're right. Growing up in Iowa, I mean, I grew up on farms. I grew up around farms. We owned farms. I grew so when I became a vegetarian, it literally had nothing to do with anything relative to concern about cows. I don't come, I didn't become a vegetarian because I'm, a, I'm really wanting to save the cow. Whether I was right or wrong, I believe now I was right. But at the time I didn't know whether I was right or wrong, I felt like the only way I could become a legitimate athlete was to cut out vices like drinking, drugs. Because come on, man, you're in college in Iowa in the 80s and 90s. What else? I mean, let's be real. Let's just be honest about the situation. 
if I wanted to be an athlete, I knew how to take make these really legitimately healthy changes in my life. And again, right or wrong, I felt like one of those changes was to become a vegetarian. Mm. For some reason in that moment, I thought like that made me more legitimate. It made me more serious. It made me more dedicated. And in a, to a certain extent, it's true because it did continue to drive me. It's one of those undercurrents of my life that allowed me to, to, to keep on the path. But at the time, I didn't know what I was doing, man. I was literally just making stuff up, mm. like literally making it up because I couldn't get any information. But it just seemed like, Kevin, you can't go out and hammer a huge steak and then go out and try to perform the next day. At least I could. Right. Yeah. And so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, I think of how, how it's lasted so long, 30 years with no cheating, no, like, I just not who I am, man. If I do it, I do it. Is I also use it as a motivational tool simply from the fact that, Kevin, you can't go back. You can't stop now. Kevin, you can't go back. You can't stop now. Not even that I want to, but it's this kernel that floats around the back of your brain yeah. about, and, and that itself is motivation for me. Yeah. I found a lot of the athletes that I've talked to, it's the, um, there's like a, you're always in a challenge, right? It It's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, whatever it is, I, uh, you know, uh, get an MRI. I'm not going to move for 30 minutes. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to do, you know, it's just like these, these little micro challenges in your brain where you're just like, I'm not giving in period. End of story, you know, and see how that translates into racing and all of the other things that you do. Yeah. And, and for a guy like me, it doesn't take me much to get fired up or motivated or excited. I don't need like a huge level of plutonium to get out there and get going. <laughs> I can just, I can work off the smallest piece of motivation and then I can turn it into something way beyond where I think it probably should have been, but that's just the way my mind's always worked. So there were times where, you know, I, I, in the beginning where I was questioning what I was doing and then as time went on and I started to get the results I got, I was like, okay, man, I don't know how I did this, but I stumbled upon something mm. here. It turns out today, thanks to podcasts like this, I started to find out the shit that I was making up in the nineties and the early two thousands turns out was right. Yeah. And the science, is now proving it and the science showing it. Were you scientific about it? Like, were you trying a bunch of different stuff and, and, uh, you know, what, which types of protein worked better for racing? No. And I, that's, that alone is a story that like, if people knew some of the minutia of my life that I don't share, they would probably be stunned because the internet and social media wants you to believe that there are all kinds of these nonsense methods that you need to do this and you need to do that. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And there's just so much garbage floating around out there that I think it makes people feel good to latch on to that stuff. Right. Yeah. Because it gives them a direction because they don't know internally. So it was never about me doing what I know some people do. And that's like, try this method, try that method. Like, 
put some real science effort behind the decisions and see where they go. No, man. It was like, I just stopped eating meat and roll with it. There was no, there was no deep thought behind the protocol and how I was going to get my protein. I was like, Oh shit, I'll figure out some way to do it. And that's my mentality. And I did. Yeah. I figured out some way to do it. I reached out to you probably like, a, I mean, it was probably through, I, I think you probably would have gotten the comment from probably from athletes rather than my personal um, uh, Instagram, but like just kind of thanking you for constantly posting your daily workout motivation, little videos. And one of the things that I've always really appreciated, and I think you kind of just touched on it is like, you're a guy who will grab a bucket of water and have a workout around it rather than it being like, everything's pristine and the right equipment or whatever, but it's just like, that's heavy. It's got a handle. We can do that for an hour. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Hey, first of all, I appreciate you saying that because the, the stuff that I put on social media, because I'm only on Instagram, that takes enough of my bandwidth. I don't do that for my own benefit. I don't need to do that, man. Mm -hmm. I was doing this stuff before the internet came along, and if the internet crashes and burns tomorrow, <laughs> I don't care because I'll continue to do it. It's just what I am. But what I found out is, unexpectedly, unbeknownst to me, that it was helping people. Yeah. And I never, I never ever thought about it or approached it from that angle. So I can tell you the reason I'm still there and still doing that stuff is because I do get those messages on a regular daily or weekly basis. And you have no idea who you're motivating and who you're helping. Sometimes you might think you're just talking to yourself. But then you come to find out somebody sends you a message and they've been following you for years and they're about ready to do their first Spartan race. And you're like, I've never heard of you. I've never seen you. I don't even know who you are. And you're telling me that you and your family watch these videos and now you're about to do, your whole family's doing its first Spartan race. One message like that can give me fuel for months. Yeah. Months. Yeah. Well, I think and now... Now with, you know, with COVID and gyms closing for a couple of months there for a while, uh, literally watching a couple of your videos, I would just watch the one, I don't know if you posted it today, I watched it today, where you were doing the, um, you were basically, you hung a, an extension ladder in your garage and you're doing monkey bars and all sorts of, you know, and it's like all the excuses that come into your brain about like, Oh, the conditions aren't perfect or I don't have the, I don't have the rogue kettlebells, you know, or whatever. It's like, Hey dude, go watch well, some of Kevin's videos and you'll see how little it takes to get a phenomenal. Yeah. Try to do some of the stuff he's doing. Good luck. That's that was last week. And I did, a, I've done a couple ladder videos now and there's going to be a third one coming because, uh, I have another variation on that ladder that I think can mimic a pretty well-known obstacle, and it's going to be the next ladder video I post. And, you know, I like to look at this stuff like, you know what, man? You do not need all this professional bullshit out there. That is, listen, everything you see in my garage, 95% of that was made by me. Mm. And all I'm doing is using stuff in the garage, existing rafters existing supports, a dollar eyelet from Home Depot. I'm not going out and buying special rogue nothing. 
Yeah. Nothing, man. I guarantee you what I'm doing with that ladder is just as legitimate in the real world, especially in OCR training, as having an official like rig and get up. <laughs> there's nothing you're going to be able to do that I can't do in my homemade setup. And I feel like I've proven that with race results and the fact and the videos that I show. And the ultimate point of that is, man, you do not need tens of thousands of dollars to train for OCR and you do not need a sophisticated gym. It's not to take away from those because I understand that some people need that environment to stay motivated, get fired up more power to you. But if you're one of those people that's internally motivated, dude, $50 in rope, $100 ladder, $5 in eyelets, and you can be on your way. <laughs> yeah, there goes our rogue sponsorship. Damn it. Oh man, sorry about that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we'll just, we'll let the dust settle a bit, little bit before we reach out to them. Yeah. If anyone from Rogue is listening, we will gladly take a sponsorship and we will, we will show the merits. We'll, we'll do a face off again in Kevin's garage. (laughs) Yeah. I promise he'll kick my ass without the Rogue stuff. I'm not saying I wouldn't take a a, a nice uh, backyard complete setup, but the average person does not have two, three, four thousand dollars to rig out one of those. And and here's and for the record, I worked out in a CrossFit gym for almost five years. So I'm familiar with all the, the, the rogue equipment and technology and whatnot. Point being, I used to use a, a giant 30-foot-long rogue CrossFit, not intended in any way to do what I do. And if you go back and look at videos from like three, four years ago, you'll see me in this CrossFit gym hanging stuff that I made myself from their row, like from their racks to mimic what we do in OCR. Mm. That was how my garage gym started Mm. was literally. And you know, dude, and here's the interesting thing. You will see this all over the world now, but I firmly believe I was the first person to do this. Back in the day, four or five years ago, and there's videos to prove it on Instagram, I would use a four by four toe strap or a slack line, rig it between things, hook on all these homemade, totally janky grips that I literally would make out of a baseball I found on the baseball field by my house (laughs) and get after it. Yeah. And... That was as official as it got. And yeah. now there's pretty much no rig I haven't been able to do in almost 140-something OCR races. Is that Was that like the, the farmer in you, the kind of Iowa sensibility? Or, um, you know, you travel all around the world. You're, you know, you're going to, you know, whether it's Paris or, you know, I mean, you're literally traveling Abu Dhabi, China, like everywhere. It's not like you're, <clears throat> it's not like you can't afford the rogue setup. Um, is it, is it that kind of like Iowa mindset of, uh, kind of farmer, you know, pick up a bale of hay and throw it over your shoulder type of thing? I don't know if what I attribute to that is more that I would attribute to this. Since I was a kid, I've always used my hands. I've worked as a mechanic. I've worked, my family business is construction. I came from a a business where 
from an Italian family. We, we were pretty much forced to work construction from when we were young kids, like literally 13, 14, 15, working all summer long construction. I've always wrenched on bikes. I've always wrenched on cars. So I think it's a matter of one, I like to use my hands. Two, I like to solve problems. Like, gosh, how can I make a rig? How can I do this and do it legitimately where it can actually train me? Part of it's just the problem solving. So I think it's more, and some of it I will admit to you is I want to just prove to myself and others that I can make this shit and make it work and prove to you and myself that you don't need yeah. you don't need a lot of the nonsense that's out there. Yeah, I mean the the results speak for themselves. Yeah. Looking at your athletes profile and the numbers of, you know, ones and twos and threes in the in the uh <clears throat> in the uh placements there and linking that result, linking that, you know, the world championship appearances and all of those things back to an extension ladder hanging from, you know, uh, a couple of canvas laps. straps. Yeah. I mean, with some leftover climbing weapon I had from back in the days when I used to climb before I broke my back. Yeah, man. I mean, it's literally, I just rigged this stuff up. It seems reasonable to me, but I think in my head, because I have, I have built and in, in, in with my own hands, so many different things over my lifetime. Like I'm, you know, I told you about 3d printing. Here, I've taught myself how to 3D print during the pandemic. I literally, when all the races stopped, I bought a 3D printer. And now I'm teaching myself how to 3D print. Like, it's just always been my way. It's like, yes, I could afford to go buy these things, official things, but why? Yeah. Like, to me, it's funner and it has more meaning to me to be able to make it myself and use it successfully than it does to go buy it. Although occasionally I have to buy things that I know I can't make a better version of, you know? Yeah. So, so occasionally I will buy some sort of grip or hold that I can't, like an example would be the Force 5 Gibbons. Are you familiar with the Gibbons? I'm not, no. The Gibbons is that thing we had at OCRWC and a few other races by Force 5 that you have two wood handles and you have to put one handle in this hanging metal device, swing, have your other wood handle, put it in a device, Got get it. the other out, swing, okay? Yep. This These metal devices that they've created, that would be very hard for me to manufacture that in my garage. And I've got a lot of tools, a lot of skill. But for example, I've made my own style of twister and people are copying it now. It's It's... I took some wooden wheels from Home Depot. I bought 10 feet of closet pull. <laughs> closet pull. I cut it up into two-foot segments. I attached that, drilled a hole in the center, and now I've got this infinite twister, essentially, or because it yeah. just spins circles, so I can go as long as I want to go. And dude, let me tell you something, man. It's fucking hard. Yeah, you need it's to put awesome. do you have any video of that on your Instagram? Oh yeah, it's all yeah. there's a whole lot of video of that. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I mean I call it the grip wheel. I always tag it the grip wheel because that's really what it is. And I do like time trials of how many can I do in fifteen seconds and the most I've ever done is eighteen. That's hard, man. And I guarantee how is that not going to work you any more than going to the gym 
and using some official whatever. Yeah. I guarantee you I'm getting the same workout you are. Yeah. I got turned on to, uh, do you know who Pat McNamara is? Pat Mac? Uh, he's an ex-Special Forces guy, just a grizzly. He does very similar types of workouts that that not nearly as, aggra- you know, kind of crazy aggro OCR that you do. But it's all, you know, like one of his workouts, he was literally pushing his golf cart up a hill, you know, and it's like uh, he'll do the exercise bands on a barbell with kettlebells at the end. So it's yeah. it's just everything kind of taking you off your center of gravity, lots of. So here's what you're essentially saying, which I think is an important topic here, especially relative, let's just say OCR, because. That's my life now. Duathlon was my life for 25 years, but this is my life for the last five or six, 100% dedicated. It's all about functional fitness yeah, in my mind. Yeah. So for example, in my mind, there is literally zero utility in going into a gym and standing on a perfectly pristine piece of plywood with special shoes and special gloves and special wrist grips and knee grips and chalk and a back belt and and ankles and all of this shit to pick up 450 pounds one time. Pardon my friends, but what the fuck is that going to do for you? (laughs) Okay. Now take that versus I go to a place called Harbor Freight, which is just cheap garbage tools. I buy a $50 yard cart. I load it up with 400 pounds. I buy $50 of rope. And I pull that four to 500 pounds up and down my driveway, also on Instagram. Try doing that 50 times. It'll wreck you. It'll wreck you. And here's the deal about it. At that point, you're using real world. You're outdoors on uneven ground using gear that you would actually race in. The weather is whatever the weather is and you're exposed to it. Sometimes I'm in the rain. Sometimes it's 105. Sometimes like today we're having a windstorm and the wind is whipping everywhere. You're having to deal with that. You're off balance. It's not perfect. It's not pristine. That my friend is real life. And that is also OCR racing. You don't have this perfect situation where everything is clean and nice. Your body twists, you fall over, you turn in a weird way. That's real life. So I think those types of functional fitness moves are far more valuable than these really sterile, static, like very canned movements. That's his exact philosophy. I mean, his, his, I think he was on Joe Rogan or somewhere where he basically said like the, Yes, if you want to be an Instagram model, like a fitness model, sure, go do bench press, things like that. But everybody yeah. else, um, and his his system is called CTS. It's like combat training st- systems or something like that. So he works in a lot of combat stuff. I mean, he's doing like appendix draw uh, firearms while he's working out and things like that. So it's very military focused, but um, it's, it's, I'll tell you what, it's... It, the, the workouts you're doing, the stuff that, that I got from Pat Mac over the, over the summer when the gyms were closed, I got into a new level of fitness, like it, like joint strength and things, you know, like transverse plane yeah. where, uh, so a, let, a whole new level. Let me, let me add something there. So, so my undergrad is in psychology. My master's degree is in sports psychology. That's the area I thought that I was going to go. 
Why that matters is going through a master's degree program required me to have to take, especially because it was in the physical education department, although sports psychology, your anatomies, your kinesiologies, biology, et cetera. So, and as a 30 year athlete, I have a pretty good understanding of the body. Okay, there are doctors out there that of course that know more than me, but I like for 30 years, I put my body to the test. I yeah. put my money where my mouth is. So my, my, the things that I profess come from firsthand experience. So I start to think, here's a good analogy I like to use. It's one I kind of fall back on in these situations. When you're in your garage and it's at night and you got to get up on a ladder and then you got to get up on, uh, a t- on your toes and you got to get some awkward, heavy object like a cooler off the top shelf, that, my friend, is real life. And that is core, that is strength, that is balance, that's a whole lot of different muscle groups, different joint groups, that is not benefited by a linear plane movement like like a bench press or like a deadlift. Like, that will give you the proprioceptive understanding your body needs to put all of these elements into play and get down off that ladder successfully without crushing yourself. Yeah. I'm sending you a link. You, you'd love this guy. You guys are of the exact same mindset. So, and I think you'd probably, you'd probably get along. He's a hell of a guy. It seems so logical to me. Like sometimes when I see other points of view, I'm all, I'm more than willing to hear somebody's point of view. I'm more than willing to debate them. If I see it different, I'm not hating on anything. It's just there's something within my mind that says the way that I train and the results show it, something, it makes sense. Like it it just makes sense to me to do it this way. To add, like, for example, one of the things today's workout that I will be posting in a couple hours, you will pretty much never see me do anything strength-based ever that doesn't have a cardio component. Mm. I don't ever sit like on my quote unquote strength days. It's never me just sitting there doing weird curls or doing bench presses. It's nothing like that. It's always, I'm running, I'm running back in, I'm doing some kettlebells, I'm doing some dips, I'm doing body weights, and then I'm back out on the run. So today was five times, one kilometer run, Kettlebell swings, kettlebell rows, overhead press, dips, and a real hoist that weighs 100 pounds outside my front yard attached to a tree with $10 of homemade shit. (laughs) It's hard, but the point is I'm running in, my heart rate's high, I'm doing all of these things, my heart rate's high, and I'm running back out, my heart rate's high. If that doesn't mimic OCR racing, yeah. I don't know what does. Have, has your approach to this changed considerably with OCR versus triathlon and duathlon? Were you were you working out similarly? Not at all. No, man. Like I, occasionally, I will post photos and videos of my duathlon days, and believe it or not, I was about nearly ten pounds heavier then but I was all leg muscle mass. Mm. I had the most ridiculous, scrawny upper body because see, 
We in triathlon, duathlon type stuff, multi-sport stuff, you don't need an upper body, man. You need legs, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I wicked strong legs from decades of cycling or running. I mean, I've got sub five-minute miles. I've got sub sub one hour on the 40K time trial on the bike. Like, I was all legs. I totally, 100% rebuilt my body for OCR. I am a absolutely different human being if you look at those photos then and now and at my age now at 50 i can guarantee you that across every measurable metric i am actually stronger and quote unquote fitter now than then because my fitness then was bike and run related now my fitness and i'm an avid cyclist i still ride all the time well you know five or six days a week i'm riding but running cycling plus all of the strength-related OCR stuff. So in my mind, I'm actually fitter and a more complete athlete now than I was then because, as you know, with OCR, you have to use every single bit of your body from hands, elbows, arms, shoulders, back, legs, everything. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned breaking your back a minute. Was that part of your car accident? Yeah, yeah, that was part of that accident. Well, I won't call it a car accident, a, a truck bike accident, I should say. Yeah, it was more like I call it a bike accident because I was on a bike. Yeah, but I got yeah, I got hit by a truck. You, you tried to race a truck head on. Uh, no, I was just enjoying my ride, and this guy decided, I guess, he didn't like me. So <laughs> wow. So, that, what what point in your career? How long ago was that? That accident was in two thousand one. Okay. Okay. And how long were you out for? So what, tell the story here for, um, right. kind of walk us yeah. through that. But yeah, I'll give you a sense. There's a good, part. there's a great video on your website, Kevin, uh, that kind of, it's like a two minute video, quick, quick watch of it. But, um, yeah, walk, walk us through the details of that. That video, Kevin just that two minutes just seeing some of the photos and the videos uh, photos in there will give you a true understanding of the the actual level of devastation because essentially I had just come back from Italy. I wasn't even home 24 hours. I was out on a bike ride. Was Italy a competition? Excuse me. Was Italy a competition? Were you out? Yes and no. Like, dude, there's a really crazy backstory to this story that has to do with 9-11. Okay. Really quick, I'll make it quick. I was on the tarmac in San Diego flying to JFK on 9-11 at six in the morning San Diego time to make my connection to then fly to Italy for the Duathlon World Championships. Wow. While I was on that flight getting ready to taxi, Obviously, we have no idea what's going on, but it became, we're a little bit delayed. I'm like, oh, shit, man, we got to get going, dude. I got a connection in New York I got to make to get to Italy. Like, you know, I, I have no, nobody has any idea what's going on here. And then that became, okay, we've got a mechanical delay. And then that became, okay, we're returning to the gate. I'm like, oh, shit, man, I'm screwed. Like, how am I going to get to Italy? Okay, havoc is happening that we don't even know about. And I'm supposed to be flying to JFK, where this is all happening. Yeah. I was in the air at that point. Okay. 
How that has anything to do with the car accident is this. I get off the plane. Obviously, nobody's going anywhere. If you remember the entire yep. U.S. <clears throat> shut down, no air travel, no nothing. Yeah, about a week or 10 days or so. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I missed Duathlon World Championship. Some people made it there. They still have the race, but it was really kind of, in a certain extent, maybe I could have rallied and found a way a couple of days later. But, you know, you might, I mean, we just got attacked. So, like, yeah. I'm not in that zone anymore once, I, once we got the true story of what was going on. Fast forward a month, and at the time, a lot of the feeling in the United States was, you know what, man, we can't let these terrorists control us. We got to get back to our lives, man. We got to live life because that's exactly what they want. So my best friend and I decided, let's still go to Italy anyway, man. So jump ahead. We went to Italy. First time for him out of the country. So I was supposed to be there for a race, but it ended up being just a pleasure trip a month later with him to show him around Italy because I had been there 10 times at that point. But we wanted to live our lives and not live under that tyranny of somebody being able to control us. So that's the trip I had just been home from, not even 24 hours. Got it. On a ride, a van comes across three lanes, hits me at 60 miles an hour, throws me about 60 to 70 feet, Broke my back, uh, T11, T12, broke my left arm, broke my left leg. Uh, I had two blood transfusions to survive. I was in the ICU for two weeks alone, which is pretty unheard of. You normally don't get to ICU's 24-hour care. You normally got in there that long, but I was having internal bleeding. Uh, my whole body was jacked. Those are just the basic injuries I told you about. But I had stitches all over my body and road burn from things we don't even know, sticks whatever who knows when i hit the ground that turned into then a third week in a hospital a hospital called tri-city medical center which is a rehab hospital and then that turned in ultimately to a year of rehab um no racing for that year so as i was telling you in 30 years of racing that's the only time i've ever had off and it wasn't by choice wow but at the same time, I immediately did everything I could to get back to racing. So you said this is 2001. Yeah, 2001, yeah. So I'm looking, this is, this is crazy. So I'm looking at your 2001 San Diego half marathon time. It's a 121.32. Yeah. Two years later, 2003, same race, same time. And it gets even better. I'm look- I went- well, I'm looking at your Carlsbad 500, which is, you know, a little, you know, or the, the 5,000 rather. You go from a 16, 1655, wreck your body, and you lose 30 seconds, 1725, two years later. And then from there on, the times just start falling. Yeah. After that time, I ran a, I ran a, a, just under 116 and a half marathon wow. at, at San Diego in January. And I did that roughly that time, multiple times, three t- years in a row so that I could qualify for New York City Marathon. So, because see, that's the mindset though, man. Yeah. Like that the mindset. It's like I was telling you when we were talking on the phone that the prognosis I was given was so negative and it was so like, Dude, you're done. 
you need to find something new to do. You're never going to, you're never going to run again. That's for sure. With these types of injuries, you probably shouldn't get on a bike again. It's essentially like they were writing me off, man. Yeah. And, and I, I would get in argue, not arguments, but I would get in these stressful conversations with these premier doctors. We're talking about the doctors at Scripps Memorial, like some of the best doctors in the world in, in spinal surgery and in, in, in spinal damage. Telling me, you got to do this, you got to do that, this is over, this is over. It's like, no, man, I don't, I, see, dude, I don't think you understand who you're talking to. And I don't mean that like in the cheesy movie way, like gangster, like, hey, man, you don't know who you're talking to. Like, don't you know who I am? I meant that from, you don't know who you're fucking with because you're messing with a guy who's got a mindset that like the moment you told me I was screwed is the moment I decided I will prove you wrong. Yeah. Like that's how I operate, man. It's how I think. It's just the way that it works for me. And so I was even telling you that story when I ran into that guy five years later on an airplane coming back from Italy from a duathlon world championship, my fourth one after they told me I'd never race again. That's crazy. And I was like, dude, you remember me? He's like, yeah, I remember you, Kevin. I was like, yeah, buddy. You know where I'm coming from? <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave me some great words of encouragement yesterday. We were talking about, I had uh, I uh, detached my bicep, I think three weeks ago now, and had had the surgery to reattach and everything. And and I've been really frustrated in, in the physical therapy side because they're telling me right away, oh, you can't run yet. Don't do this. Don't do that. And I'm, you know, I'm in as nice a way possible as I'm trying to, you know, ask them like, who are you giving that advice to? You know, yeah. like what, what yeah. level of athlete are you giving that advice to? Because I can certainly jump around the room right now with feel no pain. Like, why can't I run? Why can't I, you know, do these things? And you, and you said to me, like, you are your best uh, advocate. And that, Absolutely. yeah. And that, that was really important to hear because I've, I've been second guessing my own, um, confidence in myself on that side of things. And it's, it was kind of the words that I really needed to hear. You know, that, that one of the most important things, and I think people really need to listen to this. If they're struggling with something with an injury or an accident and trying to come back or don't have whatever that is, you are your own best advocate. And you have to remember that all of these people in the medical industry, they work for you, man. Yeah. I don't work for them. They work for me. I'm in charge. But it's this weird thing about society where you go into the, the physical therapist's office and you don't want to ask questions. You don't want to, like, push the envelope because you're uncomfortable. Like, you don't know what's your role. And I was like, shit, man, my role is I own this. You want me to do 10 soup can curls? Because that's literally what I was doing. Yeah. Soup can curls. And those soup cans were so hard to curl for me that I would sleep for four or five hours after, after that accident. I lost 100% muscle mass, man. I went into that hospital 160-something pounds, and I came out like 130. Wow. It was disastrous. But anyway, it was it was I was the guy that was in there, and I would look around at people within physical therapy and it was so depressing because these people, do we really have to do that? Can I just do 10, not 20? Oh, man, I haven't been doing my stuff at home. And I'm like, shit, 20? Let's do 35. Yeah. Oh, you want me to do something at home? I'm not going to just do it at home. I'm going to go to the gym after this and then do some more shit at home. 
And the reason why is because the feelings I get from racing, from training, from purposefully suffering out there on the race course are so freaking awesome to me. I am not willing to give them up. Amen. Not willing to give them up, man. They are too awesome. They have given me too many phenomenal memories to ever just say, oh, well, okay, if you say I'm done, well, fuck it, I'm moving on, then okay, I guess I'll just become a painter now, you know? It's like, nah, like, you're not, you're, I am not gonna let this guy who hit me take this from me, and I'm not gonna let you guys slow me down and hold me back, because the other thing I told you, and this is an important piece that people need to keep in mind, these people, doctors and physical therapists and whatnot, for the most part, there are good physical therapists and doctors out there, don't get me wrong, it's more about the industry. They're playing the statistics. They're playing the numbers. So on the bell-shaped curve, the median, most people line up against that median in some way. But on the outside of that bell-shaped curve out here, you have what are called outliers. I have always, as long as I can remember, had the mindset where I believed I was an outlier. I don't believe myself to be any better than anybody else. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm not saying that I'm something amazing. I'm just saying that my mindset always drifts towards, yeah, you'll be the guy in this group that's uh, the outlier and proves them wrong. So it's just a starting point for, for the mindset to say, you have to fucking assume you're going to win this. You have to assume you're going to overcome this. You have to assume that you will be the guy that proves them wrong. You got to go into it with that mindset. If you don't, you're already behind the eight ball beyond just the physical damage that's already happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Are you a, um, are you a spiritual guy? Did you, do you do meditation, yoga, anything religious or? Yeah. So I became a Christian during that accident, mm. because of that accident, because of that experience and a very specific experience, I, I keep the details to myself, but that I had in the ICU mm. late at night, screaming in pain because my body was so hammered that if you touched me, I mean, I was in pain, like literally yelling in pain 24 hours a day for the yeah. first week. It was it was awful, man. But yeah, so I became a Christian then. And, and part of that is because I started to realize there is no possible way that I'm lucky. I don't believe in luck. Mm. I just don't believe that. Luck is when you like happen to show up and they have the last size shirt you want. at this. <laughs> That's luck. But the things, the, the accident, I wasn't unlucky to have that accident. In fact... That accident, despite all these horrible things I could tell you, I will also tell you and have routinely told people is the best thing that ever happened to me on multiple levels. One of them was finding Christianity and religion, but the other one was also, some of the other stuff was also just proving what my mental strength and my mental fortitude was. I mean, on multiple levels, it's a, it helped me become a better person too, yeah. because I really, acutely aware of how great life is 
when you're laying in a hospital bed and they're telling you if you don't get blood transfusions, you're gonna fucking die. I mean, that, that really puts, and you start to question, what am I putting out in the world? Like, what, like, what am I doing here? Do you understand? Oh, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was, um, I, Michelle Duffy was on the show about a week ago. She's 29 years old, runner, super healthy, super fit. And um, she was uh, in another state visiting her boyfriend, and they were turning in for the night. And she just started jumbling her words. Half of her face started drooping. She She was having a stroke. 29 sure. years old. Yeah. And, you know, long story there, but, but that was one of the questions that I asked her was, are, you know, in some odd way, are you thankful that this happened to you? Like it gives you this, I mean, most of us never come face to face with death until it's the end. Right. Or we're, we're afforded so many times, you know, I think that the number they say is like in three times in your life, you will sort of prove who you are. Right. And <clears throat> Yeah. And, you know, whether it's, you know, you get a mugging, you know, how did you react to it? You know, that, that type of thing. And so, um, I'm always curious to talk to people, um, who have gone through these really life altering situations where you, as, as, as gravitous as they are on the outside, it's really about what's going on in your own, in your own heart and head. Um, where you have to literally prove yourself to yourself and to your God and maker and all of those types of things. So I'm always curious to ask that question of, you know, in some way, and you answered that, is that, well, you know, in some ways the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, think about this, though. So that all, me being able to say that comes from a couple different uh, positions, but it's at that time that I really learned one of the most important words that I think that is to me, and that is the simple word perspective. Almost anything that you encounter in life that seems to be bringing you down or what you appear to be believed to be detrimental, with the right perspective, almost anything you can overcome. So it's the mindset and the perspective Many perspectives, but for example, the simple perspective is shit, dude, you live a pretty good fucking life. You need to be more cognizant of that fact and be more mindful of that, that fact and be more grateful for that fact than I was before the accident. So it's a matter of one, I got a proper perspective. It shook my life up enough to have a proper person to try to have a proper perspective, but okay, man, like, when going gets rough, let's like slow down here and really think about what's going on and what this really means, okay? That perspective. And second, I think it's the mindset because a lot of people under those situations will fold shop and go home. Yeah. They will accept that is the end. They will accept what the doctors say and that there's no way for you to come back from this. They will, they will believe that. They will buy into it because some people, it's just a matter of a weakness, in, internal weakness in their brain. Like they don't have the strength to want to carry on that way. Some of it's just, you know, it's a lack of belief in self. And and uh, I just never, those things weren't things I struggled with. 
And so they ultimately played a role in, in helping me come back. But it really is, when I think about the totality of what I gained from that experience, I gained way more in the long term than what I lost in the short term. Mm. Way more. Like it's a, it's, I would never wish this on anybody. I would never want you to have to go through what I went through because it was terrible. I essentially went from a bed to a wheelchair, to walker, to crutches, to walking around a track one time and then just extrapolate that out. I would never wish that on anybody. Right. But I, I kind of, I came to realize that that is the shaking up that I required to finally fucking listen. Hmm. To listen to something bigger than what I was. It, it, it took that level. I, I, the kind of way I phrase it sometimes is like, God was knocking at the door so many times in the past. I just kind of like, yeah, who's there? Okay, I'm too busy. And this time he just knocked the fucking door down. <laughs> like it's, a, it's the best analogy. And so I was like forced to listen. So I listened. And, and like I said, it's one of the best things ever happened to me. I don't want to go through it again. Mm. There's no doubt I'm better off because of it. No doubt about it. Have you noticed any physical, um, uh, like pain tolerance is higher, those types of things? Like, have you, have you gone to dark places and you think this isn't anywhere near as dark as I've had it in the past? Yeah, I, I definitely had those moments. I have a lot of dark memories from that time, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, I, I kind of got hooked on morphine at that time in the hospital because I was on, I was in such pain and you can't sleep and you're on sleep medications and you're delirious. And it's like, there's a lot of dark thought. You know what? I, I, I'm 30, 30 at that point, 30, somewhere, you know, just over 30 at that point. And I'm thinking, man, I just spent decades of my life building up this career and you're, you're left in that bed looking at the ceiling in utter pain in a hospital, wondering like, oh, shit, now what? Like, what happens now? If I, if I lose this, where do I go? And it was part of me is grateful for those, those reminders and those pains because it keeps me grounded on what suffering really is. Mm. And what discomfort really is. So I've had my moments out there, even in some races, like especially, you know, like tough horses, bitter, cold, and you're out there for hours on end. And it is not fun. No matter what anybody wants to tell you, it's not that fun to be out there four or five hours in brutal conditions. But it's, it's reflecting on those old memories. It's like, come on, dude. This is totally doable. Like, do not go down that path. And sometimes it just can, it's as simple as that can pull me through. And it's like, let's keep rolling. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. See, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's goodness in all of them. There's, you know, was it, there's, um, there's virtue in suffering or you know, whatever the expression is, is, you know, it's, it's, um, as you said, you wouldn't wish it upon, you know, your worst enemy, but, but you, there's so much that you, gained from that experience and remember though not everybody can rise to right. that yeah you know 
they, again, that's, it's that, I don't think I'm special in any way like that. It's, it's just, it's just the way that I was put together. You know, that's the only way I can explain it to you. It doesn't yeah. make me better than anybody. It just means that I'm one of those people, you know, uh, uh, Zuckerberg is so freaking, so Elon Musk, man, I'm not Elon Musk. This guy's got a brain four times the size of my brain. I will fuck that guy up if he wants to go out on an OCR court. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's, you said you don't believe in luck. Really, the only luck I believe in is is that that initial seed, the thing that you're born with is, you know, there's some luck of the draw involved, oh. right? And you're either, okay. a, you, you know, you're a person who can sort of identify pain and immediately attack it and say, you know, it's you and me, buddy, let's, you know, let's drop the gloves and go after it, or you're going to run the opposite direction. And I think some of that is is born into you or or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, now we're going deep then, because if you, if you, yes, I would agree that there, in life, I think if the, the most prominent or poignant aspect of luck is when you're born and the family you're born into, mm. things you do not have control of, and it's just the roll of the dice. And some people I know get a shit roll, man, and it sucks. I understand that. Like, I understand some people just didn't get the good role. And I understand some people. And here I am. I'm really in the scheme of things. I'm just a pretty average guy. I mean, I'm just living a, I live in a home in Carlsbad in a suburb. And I train and I race. I don't live flam, like flamboyantly. I don't, I'm not like, I mean, look how I'm fucking dressed. Like, <laughs> how I live, you know, it's, but so, but above me, there, you've got all your people like your Elon Musk's, but at the same time, got a perspective tells me no matter how bad or how good you think you have it, I can guarantee you somebody's got it 10 times better and somebody's got it 10 times worse. And if you can remember that, then you'll start to realize a lot of the shit that you think is important is really not that freaking important, man. It's just not. It's not worth getting that aggressive or that aggro or that mad or that angry or that pissed off about. It's like I was in a relationship for 10 years with my ex, and it failed. And you can, I could choose to either look back at that and be angry like you see a lot of bitter people do, or I can look back at that and say, how the hell do I learn something from that that's useful for the next go around? Yeah. Or you can just be pissed off and walk around angry that you got screwed over in your relationship and be bitter and hate men or hate women and just bitch about stuff. Or you can say, hey, man, that sucked. It didn't work out. Okay, what can I do to get something valuable from that and yeah. learn from it and profit off it in some way? And that's always going to be the route that I lean to yeah. when things don't go my way because that's proven to pull you out quicker You'll get healthier, faster. You'll heal better. That's yeah. But again, that's a mindset thing. I think I just don't think everybody. Yeah. What's your perspective on the chicken and egg of that? Is like the, do you is that something you know? We're all. I, I think that that mindset. Um, it, it's it's like a muscle that you build, right? You can get more or less optimistic, more or less pessimistic, or or what, whichever words you want to ascribe to that, and so. When I look at a lot of athletes like you, do you, is it something 
do you do you work do you work your mind like you work your body? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I'll I'll just give you a simple example of that because it comes on all various levels and all various strengths, right? Let me give an example. So as I told you, my dog Rambo just passed away, my best buddy, 13 years, okay? It's been a real struggle for me. I've taken it really hard, Um, but I'm going through the process. And so here's how I work that muscle or work that. When I start getting down and I start getting sad and depressed about that loss, it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole and just let yourself mire away in sadness and depression and anger and what else. Or what I've gotten in the habit of doing over the years to work that muscle is I literally have a conversation with, my, with myself. I'm like, dude, stop, mm. stop, okay? Stop and let's think about the good shit that went down, the amazing man. Like, why are, why do we have a tendency to 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 find that negativity and want to go down that rabbit hole and live there with it? There's something about that that I've been exploring a lot. Like I write a lot, so I've been exploring this. But to give an example, that would be a time where I try to mentally. It's a per, per, perfect moment where I can be like wallow in my bullshit or I can sit there and be like, dude, okay, stop. Where can I take this? It's going to be more positive and more meaningful for his memory and for my own freaking health. Like I'm not going to gain anything if I choose to go down this path of negativity, but I have a lot to gain if in the exact same moment I flip that switch and have that conversation with myself and say, okay, dude, and and, and, and that's just a small myopic example of where you have to work that muscle and work that mindset, an example of when you can be confronted with it and have to decide on it. And it can be as something, I don't want to say as simple as that because this is a big deal in my life, okay? Not for everybody in my life is. But th- this same thing can happen in another uh, situation that's got nothing to do with a loss where – you have the choice to work that mental muscle and to work that mindset. And you have the choice to just throw up your hands and go with the flow and let it suck you in. Yeah. And I very much try to proactively deal with that and consciously deal with it. So I know I'm the one making the decision and I'm the one who's trying to get on the better path mentally with this. Is it, is it a similar kind of approach that you took with vegetarianism where it's just you're doing what feels natural or have you, like, do you study the, you know, do, are you a meditator? Do you think about these things in a more um, formal way? You know, uh, I wouldn't consider myself a meditator, for example, because I just, I, I've tried over the decades, but the problem is my brain moves at, 100 miles an hour constantly. The only time it's not is when I'm sleeping. And even then, I used to have trouble sleeping because I'd wake up in the middle of the night excited about something because my mind wouldn't stop. Okay. So meditating for somebody like me, quote, unquote, in, a, in the classical sense, can't, it doesn't happen. But I don't think it, 
meditation is necessarily need to be looked at in just this classical sense of where you sit there and you see somebody going, mm. right. <laughs> that's more of that bullshit that like, that's the only way you can get in the zone to sit there and do this nonsense. I, what I have found, the way I approach it is, I've really, really gotten into like creative writing. So these exact topics in my I use on my phone, I have a notepad on my phone. Mm. I have 1,500 notes. Mm. Some of them are one sentence. Some of them are 10 pages. That's how I deal with a lot of these types of things, is I'll grab a kernel from this conversation, for example. I'll write that thought down, and then I will circle back and expand on it. And that process of grabbing that nugget, writing it down, then circling back at the right time and expanding on it, and it can turn into a, a paragraph or it can turn into 10 pages. I don't know what it's going to become. Is what is kind of my method of quote unquote meditation because when I do these things, I'm, I'm forced to confront them. And the way my brain operates is, it opens up this whole Pandora's box of all the associated feelings. And so I have to then deal with those also. So it's kind and of like so, a, a free association type of type of exercise where you're just sort of letting it all flow and, and dealing with things yeah. as they come out. And relative, for example, because the loss of my dog is a big deal to me, like it's, it's you know, People might laugh, but uh, everybody's got their things. And, and he was my right-hand man for 13 years. I mean, I've worked for myself as a consultant from home since 2000, before he was born. Mm. So I've been around this dog every day, 24-7, unless I'm traveling. So it's a big deal for me. But this is that matter of perspective. Like, okay, I also understand there are people be being evicted from their homes right now. I'm not an asshole enough to not realize there are bigger problems in this world. I can't solve all those. So I have to solve the ones that are immediately in front of me. So you talk about free association. Uh, and part of the way I deal with these types of things is I'm a believer in, like, let's just say if we're talking about morning, letting the morning process run its course, whatever it may be. So I don't run from it. I don't hide from it. I don't try to block it out. I think that's super unhealthy. I face it head on. But at the same time, I do have to practice those techniques I've told you, or that I was explaining earlier, where I don't let myself let the negative parts of it go too far. Yeah. I acknowledge them <clears throat> because I feel like if you don't acknowledge them, you're just bullshitting yourself and they're going to resurface. It's going to bite you in the ass. So go ahead and acknowledge them, but don't live there. Man. Don't yeah. live in it is what a lot of people do is they choose to live in that because living in that is actually easier than it is to try to rectify it. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to rectify that shit. And it's easier to just live in it and be like, oh, what in my life this whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Feel the sadness. Don't wallow in it. Feel it, but don't like try to address it. Think about it. Why? But then at some point you need to put it to bed. Yeah. And yeah, I've been, listen, man, I have to work on that stuff still today. Like, I don't have this thing mastered. I'm winging life like fucking everybody else is. You know? <laughs> I'm just hoping that I'm paying attention to the tools enough that when a tool lands in my lap, I grab it and I use it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's interesting because I was, you know, one of my questions was like, do you turn to racing to sort of overcome or forget these things? And it, and it seems like, you know, as you just said, you're, you're not a guy to run from stuff. You're, you're yeah. sort of handling these things head on. And, and, um, I know. think, yeah, like it's not my style to run from those types of things. I, I try to, something I wrote recently on one of my Instagram posts is I, I, I believe that a stronger person will try to let their past refine them and not define them, refine you and not define you. Mm. So I don't like my past to define me. I like that. I don't want to use it as a way to refine what I become in the future. Like I could have let that accident define me as the guy who got hurt in an accident and could never race again. And then that would be my conversation with everybody wired to race and oh, I got in this accident. And then that would define me for life. And that was the way out. Or I can use it to refine me to get stronger mentally and physically and say, Hey man, that's a piece of my history. And it was a fucked up piece, but guess what it did do? Mm. It did this. And this, and this, and this. So that's the way I like to approach. I think nothing is gained by trying to put your head in the sand and avoid stuff mm-hmm. because you're never dealing with it then. You're never actually addressing it. Yeah. What are your folks like? Uh, my mom is a psychiatric nurse. And so she works a lot with uh, veterans. Okay. The VA is really, that's her big background. So she's, She's more of the really emotional because you have to be to, to work as a nurse and to work in that environment. So she's, we are very in tune to I just spoke with her for two hours the other night with the jack-up thing is I probably haven't seen my mom and I don't know when the last time I saw my mom wow. was, which just makes me feel like a horrible person sometimes because <laughs> I'm here I am traveling all over the world in, in, in two years, I've been, to, well, in total, I've been to like 35 countries, but in the last couple of years, I've been to like four or five new countries. I haven't been home to see my parents. I feel awful, but that's a different conversation. We'll but, so she, she's really that kind of emotional balance for me. My dad is the classic Italian American, my grandfather, hardcore Italian, so they're very much where I get my analytical cut and dry, my ability to focus and solve problems, figure things out, cut out the emotion, solve the problem. I get that analytical very and the work ethic that I have, mm. no doubt. Not that my mom doesn't work hard, but that's sure. not what she contributed to me the work ethic that my grandfather, my father as Italian Americans put into me is uh, that was all them for sure. Mm, That's awesome. But they're very different. They're very, very different. My mother and my father and they're divorced, but um, couldn't, they couldn't be really any different people. That's interesting. My mom's actually a a 20 year psych nurse at County hospital in, uh, in Phoenix. My dad, Cuban American, but same type of, you know, extremely hardworking, one of the hardest working guys I know. Uh, My grandpa has the, like, I look at your garage. That was my grandpa. Like he could fix anything. He could rewire a car, you know, like he could just do it all. And then on all, and and the interesting thing about that kind of stuff is on all of those types of things, I'm totally 100% self-taught. I have never 
except for when I did mechanicing two years when I was in uh, college over the summer. But even then, it's not teaching. It's just throwing you into the fire. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a huge believer in heuristic learning. Like, just figuring it out. I don't think there's any other better. It's like when we started OCR. So my first OCR race is in 2011. I had no freaking clue what I was doing. Yeah. Okay, here we are, 2020. I really went all in in 2015. I did my last duathlon world championship in Spain in 2014. Went all in in 2015 because I knew after that race in Spain, I looked around and I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Eight-time All-American, I can't tell you. I mean, go look at athletes. There's hundreds of duathlons all over the United States, all over the world. There was nothing more to do. I was like, and I needed a way out. Yeah. So it just, I, I just decided to figure it out. Back then, there was no training. Now, there are 50 training, OCR training camps, and everybody's an expert. And there's this, people are writing books, and, and that's all great. But I'm the kind of guy that, like, I want to be hands-on. There is no better way for me to learn. Read a book, forget about it. You, you want to know something crazy, man? Troy, this is no joke. I have never in my life one time read a triathlon book, a book about running, mm. a book about cycling, a book about OCR. Never. Wow. Never. I have no interest in that stuff. I just go out. If I want to do it, I got into archery in 2014. Yeah. I just go all in, man. Uh. And I just figured it out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't read books. Like it's people like, hey, have you, have you read uh, – Oh gosh, who's that guy that's really Joe Friel? Well, no, Joe Rogan talks about him a lot. Gosh, I, I don't. I mean, a Marine guy who's always uh, Jocko. No, not Jocko. Uh, ultra runner, also. Oh, uh, Goggins. Goggins. Okay. Here's the thing about Goggins. Not that you ask, but it's kind. Of, it's kind of <laughs> similar. I've never read anything by Goggins. I will never read anything by God. And the reason why is he and I are cut from a very similar cloth. I don't have the military background he has. More power to it. But just in the way that we approach life and how we work out, I listen to podcasts. I've seen him on Rogan. I, I know all about him. I know what he does. I know what his background is. But I don't read his stuff because I don't need that stuff. That stuff yeah. wasn't made for people like me. Right. Like that's my like it wasn't. I don't need. No, I'm not going to read the book. I've never read the book. I have no intention of reading the book because he's not going to impart to me a story or a process I haven't been faced with myself. I fought my dad. I physically fought my father. Something to be proud of. I've been there. I almost was killed in the accident. I've been there. Yeah. I've lost a significant relationship. I've been there. Like I've overcome, you know, I struck out on my own and left. I left home in 19 when I got out of college and I never went back, man. I cut my own way in life because I didn't want to be beholden to my family. Mm. So it's not trying to say, oh, I'm as good as Goggins or better than Goggins. It's trying to say, and I think he would understand this. Like I would think he would appreciate where I'm coming from he would understand oh yeah man i didn't write my books for people like you yeah right yeah I no i get it 
No, I, I think it. I, I absolutely. I mean, there's a there's a, a guy like Goggins versus like uh, I'm trying to think of some of the some of my favorite you know running or writing books. I've read a handful, um, and it's the storytelling. Like um, I, I guy's name is really hard to pronounce. Ed Hanneron Finn. He wrote like Running with the Kenyans. He wrote a um, Finding. Um, I don't remember if it was Finding Ultra, one of the Ultra books, but it wasn't about motivation. It was just a storytelling book. He just you know talked about his experiences running these ultras, and I agree with you. Like I don't, I don't want somebody yelling at me through a book or through a podcast or, or anything else about motivating me because, as you said, like. I like a flank steak, you know, I like salt, pepper, throw it on. I don't need the Chateau Brion with the sauteed mushrooms. And I like steak, you know, I like racing. I like, I like training. I don't need to be motivated. I just, I like it right, right off the grill, you know? So, you know what? So people that don't really know me, I know that to some of these people, they call me a fairly polarizing individual. I understand that. I've heard that kind of shit my entire life. But you know where a lot of that stems from? That stems from the fact that I don't need their approval. Mm. And that I'm confident with who I am and that I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and that I put my money where I'm, my mouth is. And I think that that stems from the fact that that aspect of my behavior that is sometimes the bane of my existence comes from me trying to live the way you just explained about the steak. Dude, I don't need all the bullshit, man. Let's just get on with it. Like, <laughs> for example, if you ever work out with me, ask somebody like Faye Stenny. Ask somebody like Victor Casada. These people that race awesome in OCR, ask them. They've worked out with me. What do I do? I fucking roll up and I work out. I'm not bullshitting. I don't stretch. I'm not warming up. I'm not waiting. Dude, sometimes I watch people <laughs> fucking around with protocols than they do actually getting stuff done. And that drives me insane. Mm. Like insane. Because there's just so many of these things out there where it's like, you got to do this process and you got to do this protocol. Bullshit. Says who? I didn't. That might be point being. The people that don't think in that way, they think in a different way, but the people that don't think in the way that I think like that, that's where those types of books are beneficial to them because it might open up a door to them that they haven't considered going through about how to approach these things. And, but I feel like from that, from his perspective, I have been living in that world as long as he, I've been living in that world longer than he has. I've been racing longer than he has. So like, I understand that world, but a book that I would read would be something by somebody like Elon Musk mm -hmm. because he plays in an arena and in a level I can't cogitate. Right. But in terms of the motivational, get off your ass, get fired up. Let's get out there. Ooh, that, you know, no, man, I live and breathe that shit and I have for 30 years. So I don't need, I don't need any more of that. If anything, I need to bottle it and sell it myself because I have the text. <laughs> you, know? you need to read the opposite kinds of books. The ones that just slow you down for five minutes, but. You know that you say that, but that's, that's not a joke. It really is. I mean, shutting me down uh, is not, is that easy? Uh, that, there will come a time for that, Kevin. Don't worry about that just yet. Oh, 
I don't know, dude, I'm 50. Look, and look, this is like how I live every day. Yeah. I mean, this is like the, the energy that I put out now. Like this is, this is just who and what I am constantly. Yeah. I don't feel any different. I don't yeah. have to get fired up. I don't have to get excited. It's just there. Yeah. No, look, I'm a, I'm 49. Before I uh, uh, detached this bicep, I was in, I was in the best shape I'd been in, in, in at least a decade, um, strength wise, fitness wise, all of those things. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer that age is nothing but a number, but, um, uh, and, and, the, and it's easy to slow down, man. I mean, it's easy to, it's easy to get caught up in that, that trap and slow down. So. Okay. Can I say something on that? Topic please do. Okay? Yeah. Okay. So I'm a big believer that it's easy People say, man, do you ever take a day off? Like I had 263 days in a row of working out. Over 80% of those were two a days. The only reason I stopped is because my dog passed away. Mm. And I just couldn't, I couldn't rally, man. I was that devastated. Other than that, I'd keep going. And the point in telling you that is you talk about the time will come, you know, there's, there, there's a place for that slowing down. I don't know what you're talking about because yeah. I don't have that. That just has, hasn't hit me. And the reason why is it's better for me to stay moving than it is to try to stop and restart. Yeah. So I am constantly trying to be on the go because I do know what you're saying is true, but I'm not willing to open the door to it. Yeah. I'm trying to keep, that door closed for as long as possible. So what I do is I just go every day, every day. I just keep that mindset that it's just your, the times I've had off for whatever reason, an injury or like with that accident, it's so hard to come back, but I just feel like just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. So my mindset, even today, just get up dude and keep going, get up forward momentum. Like it's better to just keep going. Because people be like, Kevin, geez, dude, take a day off. And I'm like, why? Says yeah. who? Yeah. What do you mean, day? Like, there's, I know books want to tell you you have to do bullshit. Like, yeah. it's just this is just this weird mentality that's crept out into people that you think you need to follow this certain pattern. And it just, I don't believe like that. Like, I do the pattern I want to do, and my pattern is right now. I don't want to know what you're talking about yet. I yeah. want to just keep. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. I, I've really struggled in my. Um... In my life, I, I tend to binge things. So like I'll get super crazy into work and and let my fitness slide. And then, um, and it's almost like a burnout factor. Well, then I'll put too much into the work side, which then all I want to do is ride my bike or work out or whatever. And then it kind of swings back. It's never a thing where I get sick of working out. It's usually I'll find some creative pursuit professionally where then that just sucks me in. And it's not, I don't, I don't stop training altogether but it's not that consistency. I, I know when it's happening where I'm like, okay, I said I was going to go do 10 miles at lunch and all of a sudden it's one thirty, two o'clock. I haven't even eaten lunch, much yeah. less run. So yeah, I, that's, that's a thing I struggle I, with. And, well, here's, here's, here's part of that mindset that has also, I think kept me going over because we talk about the fact that athletes might have 300 and something of my results. Yeah. But according to the stuff that I have, it's closer to 500, but there's a decade or more before you guys even came online. And we talked about the stack. I literally have 
stacks from back in the day because yeah. they would see mail results, okay? Yeah, you're going to mail those to me and we're going to get those hand entered, I promise it you would, that. It would, be, it would be awesome, but, you know, we need to make sure we ensure that stuff because that's like a piece of my history. We lie. Oh, yeah. And I'm not... You, you, I almost want to hand deliver it, hand pick it up, you know? All right. Well, I'll be in San Diego in, in a, probably a month or two. So I'll, I'll, I'll drop by and we'll pick that up. Or you're coming up here. You're, you're trying to. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every day the house hunt's been going on for four months and it's every day just trying to find that thing. So it's just a matter of time before I'm there. Yeah. Like, like, All right. So back to what you were saying, back to about how to stay motivated. Yeah. Okay. So here's one of the, the, and this is what I'm about to tell you is extremely hard to do. And it comes at a lot of cost. It comes at financial cost. It comes at relationship cost. It comes at job costs. It comes at interpersonal friendship costs. It comes at family dynamic costs. And that is, I never, ever put my athletic aspirations on the back burner for anybody or for anything, mm. not for a job, not for a girlfriend, not for my ex, not to stay close to my family in Iowa, not for the family business, not for anything ever under any circumstance. I never have. Mm. And it's lost me friends. It's lost me family members. It's lost me jobs, literally lost me jobs. Mm. People don't like me because of it, because <laughs> no, I, will put, I will put what I want to do before I put you ahead of that. Like the point being, and I know that sounds really like intense, maybe militaristic, like whatever, but it's the way I want to live, man. And I'm not willing to compromise it for anything or anybody. I just won't. And yeah. the reason why is Although it's cost me those things, it's given me far more than it's ever cost me. I feel like the scales have been balanced in my direction, irrespective of the losses. Yeah. I, I've traveled all over this world. I've seen amazing shit. I've raised some of the best people in the world in multiple sports, not just duathlon and not just OCR, but I've raced Lance Armstrong at New York City Marathon and beat him. I've raced Dean Carnassus. Like I've, so all of the, I'm healthy. I feel like I'm um, content mentally. I feel like I'm level. Like, yeah. So all of these things came because I would never, ever let anything get in front of that first. Like literally when I make plans on a day, week, month, year, life basis, Always in that equation is how do I get my working out and my training racing in? Always. Yeah. It's a part of every single thought I have. It's that deep in my DNA that there is, there just, this isn't something I just turn off. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. It's just there. Yeah. And every one of these other things I just mentioned, ultimately, they go away in time. Jobs go away. Girlfriends go away. Friends come and go. This. Uh, come on, Kev.
thing has never gone away. You there? Yeah, I got you back. You there? I, I don't know what happened. You, you there, Begin? Yeah, yeah. You, you're the screen just went. Anyway, yeah, I was likewise. Just, it's it's that mentality yeah. of my lifestyle, which was up on that thing before it yep. changed. My lifestyle always comes first. Always. I will not negotiate on it. I won't trade it. I won't. You aren't going to take it from me. I'm not going to give it up. Like it's just. And I feel like that's the mindset you have to have if you really like want to accomplish the things you want to yeah. accomplish. It. Well, and it seems to me that you don't, there's nothing to apologize for as long as you're honest with those people. Right. I mean, it's not like you, you know, it's, it's not like you're sweet talking some gal into your life. And then all of a sudden you know, you're like, uh, see you later. Everybody who knows me and who is close to me or friends with me or has dated me or my ex Everybody knew what they were in for. Yeah. I, you can see how honest I am, and I'm transparent about stuff. Like, I don't see any benefit in bullshitting and making stuff up. Like, it's what I am. And if you spend any time around me, you'll find out it really is what I am. So, anybody who gets involved with me or any job, like, they, I've had issues with jobs in the past. Dude, that accident I told you about, yeah. that, that I, was, I was on my lunch break. Mm. I was at, while everybody else would go out and eat, the whole crew, because uh, I worked in the tech industry. I worked for a web co development company yeah. uh, that made uh, internet webcams. Um, I would go out for lunch as and work out. That was that was what I would do, man. Like, they're going out to lunch. I never did that, dude. Yeah. I would go out and work out for my lunch. This is going back in decades or more. Yeah. I, I would all, I've always found a way to turn whatever I'm doing into something that can keep me active. Like I used to commute to that job on a bike, 25 miles one way each day yeah. for years, 50 miles guaranteed multiple times a week. Yeah. I just grad school. I would take my stuff down, do my grad school stuff. While I was down on campus. I'd work out. I'd come home. I do another workout. I just have always found some way to make sure that is a priority. Yeah. Have you always and, been a, a multi-workout per day guy? Is that something that served you pretty much on both sides? Of that's one of my own revelations that really came about. So I've had a couple revelations since I really went into OCR. Two of these revelations, things you would have never have done back in the day in triathlon and duathlon. They were just like, frown, it would never happen. One, racing back-to-back -back days. Mm. I mean, that was so such a crazy thought back in the day for even me and my friends. Like, wait, you're going to race Saturday and Sunday? That's nuts. Like, you got to do all that. Okay. I love racing back-to-back -back days. As a matter of fact, I generally don't go to races unless I can race twice in a row. And generally, if you look at my pacing and stuff, I perform pretty well on that second day. That, mm. That's a whole different topic. But so that's something I figured out at, in about 2015 when I really started going into because I made the agreement with myself. I told myself in 2015, I'm going to give myself two years, Kevin. See if I can make this OCR thing work. I see the writing on the wall here with OCR, man. This is a big deal. Like, I've been through mountain biking. I've been through the inception of triathlon, the heydays of road biking. Like, 
I've seen things come and go and seen how they blossom. And you could tell OCR was this, it was just, it came so fast and so furious and so hard. Like I need to get on this train, man. It means it's like everything I value. It's mental, it's physical, it's problem solving. It's all these things. So when I went in all that, all in, I suddenly figured out, dude, you can hammer the shit out of yourself multiple mm. days in a row and your body will absolutely respond. This belief that you have to take these days off, that's such nonsense, mm. man. And if you can't look at what I do of hammering pretty much every day something, and often two times a day, and I race as much as anybody we know as proof that you can do it, uh, what more proof do you need? Like, you can read all the books you want to tell you it's not happy, but shit, man, I'm doing it. And I'm, and, yeah. and I'm all that. Okay, so, so that's one. The second thing that I figured out at that time was just before 2015, I had a really bad injury in 2014 going into Spain's World Championship. I have a reoccurring hamstring issue. It's because of running on the track, which is why I don't run on the track. I, I, I don't, I won't run on the track. So don't anybody ask me cause it's not going to happen. I had to figure out a way to train at a level that would keep me fit, prepared to, to be able to put my face on team USA and show up and give a good go and give a good show, support the team and support myself. Turns out, you know what I ended up doing? And I didn't even know until a couple of years ago, mm. I was doing HIIT before HIIT word. <laughs> I ended up taking all of these long workouts we did in multi-sports. And I would like one of the, the keystone workouts I do is a is a five times run, bike, run, bike, run, bike, run, bike, five times. So I ride really hard for five minutes. I get off, I run a mile, I get back on the bike, five minutes, I get off. Okay, it's ultimately high intensity interval training. I was I just made this shit up. It, back then in 2014 to get ready for this world championship because what I found is I couldn't go as long endurance wise because my hamstring would act up, but I could do these really short intervals. Guess what? In all my years on team USA, I think maybe I was on qualifying for the team, maybe 12 times, maybe raced 10 world championship triathlons. It was my best result ever. And I was 45. Mm. I fucking smoked people. I was on fire. It was phenomenal for me. Best, one of my best results ever, which was also the great time to walk away. Yeah. A bulk of that training and preparation came doing nothing but HIIT. No kidding. Which was so counterintuitive yeah. to everything beneficial about the way you would typically train for multi-sports racing. But I had to do something. I was like, what do I do? Okay, I'll just do these shorter high intervals because I can't go out for four hours anymore. My, my hands are killing me, but I could do that. Huh. There's a couple, so to answer your question, I'm like, no, I never used to be a two-a-day person, and no, I would never race back-to-back. -back. Now, I'm a two-a-day, 90% yeah. of the time, and I race back-to-back -back every chance I get. So are you still mainly that sort of like, um, uh, kind of hit type workout. Uh, I mean, everything that you're posting looks to be very, um, super high intensity, 
Uh, it doesn't, well, I guess your rides are probably a little bit more, um, you know, kind of time in the saddle type of thing, but is that, is that where you go for your longer, slower type of workouts is the bike? Well, so for example, I did, a, I posted a workout a couple of days ago where I did three hours and 40 minutes. That's all endurance. Three hours on the bike. I got off and ran a chill 40 minutes. So kind okay. of a brick work. Yep. I have lots of endurance days. They're all over my Instagram also, but those will typically be long runs or long bikes. Okay. But if I were to pick at this stage and my age and my background, I have so much in the bank. This is, again, I can't really prove this, but my gut instinct has proven me well my entire athletic mm. career. So I go with it yeah. and I trust it. And my gut instinct is I have so much in the bank after 30 years that I don't need to do a lot of really long endurance stuff. Dude, I got 30 years of fucking eight hour bike rides, three hour runs. Like I got stacks of that stuff. What I think now is that my age and the recovery that I need I am actually noticing a far better ROI, return on investment, doing HIIT as my first choice workout than doing an endurance workout. So if you said, Kevin, you're going to wake up today and you have one choice, what's going to be? I'm like, I'm doing doing HIIT. And how how many days a week are you doing that? Well, I just had that 263 day go. So that would be seven days a week. So since... The days I took off because of Rambo passing, I haven't taken a day off since then. And you're That's doing that a- you're doing that level of intensity. Like would you do a hit workout on the same day as your as your long run ride type of thing? Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, there are very few workouts that I do anymore that do not have an intensity component. Okay. So even if I go over that couple hour threshold. Let's say I go out on the bike for a while. Mm-hmm. In that will be intervals, sprints. Here, it's not just me riding around, which I love to do. I mean, I've been riding a bike longer than anything, so I can get out for six hours on a bike. That's routine for me. Was routine for me yeah. just by myself, six hours, just you know. But now I tend to work in work in some sort of intensity. If I work out, let's just say for the sake of argument, to keep it simple, six days a week, okay? It is seven, but let's just keep it simple, six days a week. I would say easily four or five of those days have an intensity level component. Okay. Today, started the day with my HIIT, about 40-something minutes of this five time that I told you of yep. a kilometer and then these, these strength items. That's all intensity. I'm going, my run, the, the 5K, the 1K run I'm doing, I'm doing it speed. Not race pace, but just below. Yep. The efforts I'm putting on, the tools that I'm using, like the kettlebell and everything, intensity. Tonight, my second workout will be something totally different, but it'll be intensity. Okay. It might not last, it might last maybe 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. But I'm telling you, man. The results I'm getting and the things that I'm seeing about my body and my performance have shown me yeah. that's 
system. I thrive on that system. What about what about like, injury? What's that? What about injury? Have you noticed increase, decrease, same? You know, I recently ha- I recently pulled a calf. Uh, again, it's a reoccurring injury. It's actually an injury I got running into the ocean like six years ago, stepped in a hole, overextended, mm. hurt my calf. This was like four months before New York City Marathon. And so I, I have my, especially with the broken back, like I have parts of my body that ache fairly constantly. But I really feel like it's the longer endurance stuff that would tend to lead me more to injury than the shorter intensity. Although the injury that I'm coming off of, the calf, which lasted a few weeks, did come during a super high intense run where I was like running in the, I was, in, I was on pace for like 532 mile and had to pull up right in the middle of it with the full cap. But guess what? I continued training H I I I continued training high intensity. I just switched all up to the bike. But I just kept the same mentality. Yeah. Instead, I switched over to intervals and, and whatnot on the bike. So I actually think if push comes to shove, I feel like I, for me, I can make the case that I it's a little bit less injury proneness with that because. Your durations aren't long. Your intensity is really high, but you're packing it into 20 to 45 minutes versus like five hours of being yeah. out there. Yeah, I, when I was doing the transverse, well, I guess I still am, other than my bicep. But I was noticing that I would have, um, I was, I was able to work through injuries really quickly because I could just isolate a different part of the body. Um, yeah. And then I would just heal much faster and, and just feel a lot better. Not only that, but you can maintain the fitness, the speed, whatever it is that you have. You just switch it up and, and change the body part to try to focus less on that body part. And you maintain all that. Whereas what you typically see is, and I see this hugely in the OCR community. I mean, I, I those notes I told you, I've got a chapter on what I call injury culture. Yeah. Which is the people within sport who I really feel like there are people that they don't enjoy being injured, but they don't mind being injured. And they don't mind being injured because it gives them an excuse, Mm. an excuse on why the result didn't happen, an excuse on why they can't race. They can still be a part of whatever community they're involved in, but the injury is always this thing or the newest injury or whatever. Or it's like, and fortunately for me, not fortunately, unfortunately, I have enough injury experience that I kind of know how long some of these injuries should take to heal. When I start seeing people milking some of this, I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you, you come on now, yeah. come on now. Like, you're, like, it doesn't need to be like this. But I think part of what happens is they cut back too substantially on their training. Yeah. Because I think that's the mentality. Like, you know, like you're experiencing with physical therapists. They want to be like, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, you got to totally take off, man. You can't do shit for like two months. It's like nonsense. I had a boot because I had an actual broken leg, not a stress fracture, but like a, a broken left leg. I was on that fucking boot walking constantly, man. 
the day they told me I could take that boot off, I took that boot off and I got after it. Yeah. Like there was no milk in the situation. I got out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah. So this other injury that I just came off of, this calf, I even made sure on Instagram because I want people to know, yeah, man, I fight injuries too. I'm like, not, not, but I'm not going to sit here and make everything I do about this fucking injury. Yeah. You, you cannot give injuries too much life because then they take a life of their own. You need to kill that shit and move on as quick as possible. So I documented it. I showed a couple weeks. I move over the injury and I fucking move on. Yeah. Well, I think, I think if you're an endurance athlete waiting to be pain-free or injury-free, you're going to be waiting a really long time. (laughs) You need to work. You need to learn how to work through these things. And, uh, again, work a different body part, drop your volume, but keep, keep some level of activity going. Yeah. I, I, and you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of science that's changed relative to injuries. So give an example. Let's just say, um, okay. Something like a stress fracture. Back in the day, they may want to cast you and keep you off that foot or that leg. Now, they're putting you in a boot because the science is really showing that if you use that, you spur calcium deposits to go to that area of the fracture quicker, and you will heal faster than if you stay off of it and don't do shit. I mean, you don't really see casts anymore. Have you kind of noticed that? Like yeah. the, the eye, Even now with yeah. like a broken they're doing 3D print casts, and you can take them off at night, mm. get a little bit of usage, put it back on, and no longer are you coming out six or eight weeks later with a totally <laughs> arm that you need to work back, and it's got no tan, and it's thin, and it's weak. Like, this, smells this, funny. It smells funny? <laughs> yeah, you know that. Yeah, you know <laughs> Well, these things, have, these these mindsets have changed about how you can approach some of these things. And uh, my point is, obviously, injury dependent. Okay, because there's going to be some injuries where this conversation is not applicable. Yeah. So before people start freaking the fuck out, we'll get the, we'll get the hate messages. I'm sure. Oh yeah, I, but but like I said, my my history proves that I have experience with these things. So I'm speaking from my experience and I have no reason to lie about this stuff. Like what, what am I, I don't gain or get anything by making some bullshit up. So I'm telling you my experience, but at the same time, I'm willing to tell you it's injury dependent. I mean, if you cut your finger off, that changes things. Sure. Okay. But if we're just talking about being an endurance athlete, being active, you, you better be prepared for the fact that injuries are a regular part of the game. And if you want to be a part of the game for the long term, you got to learn to work through them and you got to learn to work around them and you need to get through them as quickly as possible because that yeah. shit will burn into your brain. It will become like a cancer that like gnaws at you. You need to own it. You need to be in the one in control and you need to get it out of your life as quickly as possible. Amen. And that's how I operate. Much make what I do and it's proven for me for the things I've been through to be successful. So I don't know why it couldn't be successful for, for others. Well, the results certainly speak for themselves, Kevin. You're still rocking and rolling. So, yeah, you're. Uh, I think the philosophies are definitely some things that uh, we should be listening to. So appreciate you sharing you know, that. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I get all that. <laughs> I know all that. I mean, I know there are haters. I, it's, that's life. I mean, whatever. 
I can only speak from my experience, so it's very important for me that when I talk and do these types of conversations that I'm speaking from experience and not just bullshit book knowledge that I read from somebody else or somebody told me. Yeah. I've been there. I've done it. If I'm talking about it, I've probably been through it. And I think that just adds whether you people like it or not, I can't control. But there's a truth in what I'm saying because I went through it. Like, I mean, yeah. I said, I don't have anything to gain. Like, I'm, I'm not sponsored by a cast sponsor. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, what? I, as a matter of fact, if you think about what I'm saying, I'm promoting people getting away from some of the bullshit and believing in yourself and believing in what you can accomplish and not buy into this nonsense so much. Like, yeah. that's why I told you, you're your own best advocate. You got to do your own research. You got to look out for number one, man, yeah. because no one's going to look out for you better than you will yourself. Well, it's great advice. I think it's I think it's a great place to to put a pin in this conversation. You're going to be great. up here in a month or two, and I'd love to have you back in and sit down in person, share a uh, sh- well. You you don't drink beer, do you? <laughs> no, but it's cool, man. I mean, uh, it's been my whole life, so like it doesn't phase me. Yeah, it we'll phase we'll, you. we'll share something. But, I'll have a mate or something. There you go. There you go. Well, we'll share a run in the afternoon and then we'll sit down and have a great conversation. How's that? Yeah, hopefully I'll be out in December and be there another, do more house hunting for maybe another month. We'll just see. I have as much winter activities to do out there as I do summer activities. So I'll stay plenty busy. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you. Hey, man. Same to you. I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for just letting me talk. Indeed. So we're going to, we're going to, on that note, we are going to take it out. And that is the show. Hope you've enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission. Thanks again to Kevin Gelati for getting us all pumped up for the day. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post uh, for episode 15 with a picture of Kevin. If you have comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email at podcast at Athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide. Give us a review if you dig it. And until next time, happy racing, everybody. Thanks, man.